Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different women come together to talk about God's Word and the various ways it applies to their lives. My co-host, Vanessa Hawkins, and I are excited to be back together again as we begin a new season on the Book of James. The purpose of our podcast is to serve as a supplement for our women here at First Pres Augusta as they study James using Courtney Doctor's Bible study, Steadfast. If you have not already done so, please take the time to listen to our interview with Courtney. Courtney radiates genuine love for God's Word alongside a natural love for God's people. She's given much time and effort into the writing of a study which we believe will help to bring Christians further into something we all desperately need and long for here at the start of 2021, a steadfast life. Today's podcast will focus on James 1, 1 through 18, the verses which are covered in chapter 1 of Steadfast. Joining us for our discussion today are Sandra Heron, who is the wife of our lead pastor, Mike Heron, and Sarah Williams, wife of Chris Williams, who is a pastoral associate here at FPC. Now, I don't know what our listeners imagine when they think of pastor's wives, but they should know that the two of you are not cookie cutter. Hmm. You both have spunk and tenacity that speaks for your courage to enter into life with your whole selves in multiple spheres and settings. Hmm. Why don't each of you take a moment to tell us a little, about a, a little bit about yourselves, and while doing so, answer our favorite question for today, which is, what was a favorite new holiday experience in 2020? My family is Mike, and I have four children. Um, They are all grown, and I have three grandchildren. So that's kind of where I'm at in life, learning to be a grandma. Uh, My grandmother' name is Gussie because uh, my eldest uh, grandchild, who's two and a half, started calling me Augusta Grandma, and um, that's my name. So it kind of kind of has become Gussie. So. Um, A favorite holiday experience, Um, for 37 years, Mike and I were always at Campus Outreach conferences. So we were either on a conference at New Year's or we were exhausted and asleep on New Year's Eve. (laughs) So so the last two years, we've actually been able to celebrate it. So that's kind of become a new holiday experience for us. Every hour, I've made up these little bags and we open it up on the hour and do whatever's in the bag. So games (laughs) or... uh, Like for how many hours? Sorry. Beginning at 5. Beginning at 5. 12. Yes. Seven. Nice. Yes. Right yes. There. That is yes. a commitment. So one of Jeez. them this year was uh, we put uh, whipped cream on our right hand and slapped it. Did y'all see that anywhere? People were doing that, <laughs> trying to catch it in our mouth. So that was made a nice big uh, mess in my kitchen. So um, anyway, we had a lot of fun. So yeah, I really miss going to conference and this has helped me not miss it so much because we look forward now. This, Some of our other kids came in this year, so we had six people there um, to do that together this year. So that was really fun. I'm impressed. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> Cool. I would also like to see a video. Of yeah. I do. I do yes. actually have yes. the video. I okay. will show you later. Nice. That. Well, hello. My name is Sarah Williams. Um, as Amber said, my husband is Chris. We have three young kids, which still feels weird to say. We have mm-hmm. a six-month-old baby boy named Ezekiel. Our next is Mila, who is almost three, and then our oldest, Naomi, is four. A new holiday experience for 2020. Like everyone else, we spent a lot of time at home in December. Mm -hmm. 
So we started watching Christmas movies during dinner time, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, that's pretty bad. (laughs) Don't tell (laughs) me. Um, But it turned into this really fun thing. The kids would ask about it and drag out our little TV tables and be so excited about it. So we watched The Grinch no less than 50 times this holiday season. (laughs) And come January... Had a little detox every yeah. night. They were like, can we watch TV in, in mm-hmm. the living room? I'm like, oh, gosh. Yeah. Made little monsters. Sarah, that <laughs> is making fun. me feel so much better because my family <laughs> is currently really into pulling out the TV trays and watching Andy Griffith while we eat dinner. Yeah. And I've been thinking, hmm, that's the TV tray family. Like, stigma you're supposed to stay away yeah, from. Yeah. But I was like, girl, it's more power to you. Yeah. It's all right. It's, it's all right. <laughs> it's bonding in its own way. So favorite new holiday experience, I would say, was my mom's birthday. And she will make it um, a recurring thing that we celebrate this way. Her birthday is during the holiday season. And she turned 80 this past year. And we were all super bombed that we couldn't throw her this big bash for turning 80. So what we did instead... um, catering to the fact that she always opens her gifts early. She's known for it. She's notorious about it. The grandkids try to model them, themselves after it. They'll say, mm-hmm. um, can I open my stuff early? You know, grandma does. Yeah. So like, no, you can't be like grandma in this particular instance. But we sent her birthday gifts for eight days leading up to her birthday oh, for every day. So, so yeah. and we all just kind of bet on how long it would take her to open the first thing. And so, yeah, there was a pool going. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> she made it to day yeah. two. When the second set of cards got there, she had already, yeah, she was, she was done. She couldn't wait any longer. So, uh, and so that was a, that was super fun and she felt super celebrated. Yeah. And, and so that was sweet. So we'll, we'll do that again. That's really, I love that. that. I love that. Well, we had a hard holiday, which I'll mention in a little bit. So I don't have a Christmas or New Year's tradition that came about that we really loved, but I do have a birthday one, which we did what I keep wanting to call the drive-by birthday, but I know that's not what it is. It's like, that sounds so uh, uh, terrible, but it's a birthday parade, right? Yeah. Right. Birthday parade. Is that better? And we did it for our 13-year-old Jack. And I just, I wasn't thinking I was going to do it. It's not really naturally something I think that I would enjoy, but a friend of mine had done it for her child on her 13th birthday. And she said, you have got to do this. So she helped do all the planning and things like that. And we just showed up in the yard and it was a surprise to Jack. He had no idea. I got the other two brothers in on it. So they were playing football with him in the front yard. And just to hear all of this, all of a sudden this honking, this loud noise. Mm. And he's just thinking, what in the world? He's still clueless. And he goes up to the top of our yard and all of a sudden all these cars come by and his friends are, you know, out the sunroof and there's uh, streamers and balloons and all this candy being just pelted at him and all this stuff. And his face just lit up and he's our child that when he's blessed, he wants to bless other people. So he's handing out his candy to people as they go by and he just, he felt really loved. So to be able to do that, uh, we enjoyed that. It was fun. fun. Yeah. Well, there were definitely reasons uh, to celebrate in 2020, but there were a lot of hardships as well. And the, those have, are moving in with us, I think, into 2021 in some ways that are going to be difficult. And one of the reasons, it's one of the reasons James is, I think, in such an appropriate book for this time, because it talks about what it is to be steadfast in the midst of difficult times. I mean, the book of James was written to people who are also experiencing trials. And here in the first 18 verses of the book, James does a few things. He introduces himself and his readers 
He speaks uh, to the inevitability of various trials. He makes a surprising statement regarding these trials. He gets practical when it comes to living in the midst of them. And he bases all that he has to say on a sure belief that God remains the giver of every good and perfect gift, even in, especially in, the face of trials. Vanessa, what stuck out to you particularly in these beginning verses? I, I think you're, you're, you're spot on. What, what I saw as well was the first thing that James mentions is trials and how we are to behave in trials. He spends that first 18 verses uh, multiple times. He's talking about trials and he, he, he it's, I think it's striking to me that he skips pleasantries. Mm -hmm. There's no formalities. He goes right to the trials. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is what you do in trials. And so his directness seems to suggest to me an urgency about mm -hmm. trials, but also uh, the widespread nature of it as he, he talks about the rich and the poor. Um, so just the nature of um, these trials have to be pretty widespread and pretty urgent. And I think that's also striking because um, as, as I consider what he's addressing there, James could very well be talking to us mm -hmm. right now. If he were going to talk about things in the church that are widespread and urgent issues, widespread and urgent trials, he'd have much to pull from. Yes. Uh, he could easily pull from this worldwide pandemic that we've um, talked about. He could easily pull from racial tensions that are plaguing the, the culture at large, but the church as well. Um, and we know that that was on his radar because he was a part of the Jerusalem Council. And we, we've talked earlier about this being the early church. And so he would have had tensions with Jews and Gentiles and trying to help them get along and that type of thing. But also James puts his finger on that space between belief and action. Yeah. And so where we've got people naming the name of Christ whose actions aren't aligning with that. You know, we, we've all been mortified mm -hmm. at the, the yeah. Capitol uh, being vandalized by people holding signs naming the name of Christ. Mm -hmm. And James would have put his finger on that yeah. and mm -hmm. saying, no, this is what our true faith looks like. It acts like mm -hmm. this. And mm -hmm. so, um, so I think I was, so trials, yeah. that was big for me. But then I think the sheer number of imperatives in the book of James um, as you read them over and over again, it's so many commands. It's so imperative and command dense that it quickly brings you to the end of yourself. And you say, there's no way I can do this yeah. unless the Lord helps me. Yeah. And so I think that that's what strikes me about James. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What you're saying about trials um, sticks out to me as well, even just in the fact that he the way that he addresses his readers is that the, the 12 tribes of the dispersion, you know, when you think that you're dispersed, you have yeah. no homeland, no yeah. settled place, no sense of ultimate security. Mm -hmm. And he's offering that ultimate security in this book and, and showing us what it looks like to live in it. And uh, yeah, that stuck out to me. That's good. And one of the things that stuck out to me too is, you know, when you're, when you go into trials like this, it's nothing, there's nothing like trials to make you, question what it is you think you know, and to get you to the place where you think, man, I did not know anything close to what I thought I knew. And so when I read about the, the, the various trials that resonated, the reality of them, of course, we've got, we're going to have to be talking about the fact that he says to count it all joy hmm. when you face these trials. And I do love that. He's not saying count every joy, every trial of joy, but mm -hmm. count it all joy when you face them, the, the facing of them because of what they produce, which right. is that steadfast faith and 
what our faith is in. So I love that. And then he moves on to say, if any of you lack wisdom, and that stuck out to me because I thought that's exactly what it feels like when you encounter these trials that you've never faced before you start asking questions. And so my question of the text was, what does he mean by wisdom? Because he says God gives it mm-hmm. generously to all without finding fault. And it was helpful for me in Courtney's study and that steadfast study that she mentioned that she had heard wisdom referred to as the art or skill of godly living. And and I, as I had been thinking about it, I thought, you know, it really is taking the knowledge that we have about the Lord, about ourselves, about his world, about especially about his character, and it's applying it to everyday life. And so often the questions I ask sometimes are different, but the questions that he always promises to answer is, this is who I am, and every day I will show you how to live mm-hmm. in light of that. And that was encouraging to me. It just sort of switched up um, maybe what I thought of wisdom as I was looking at some of those some of those verses. That's That's so helpful because... I think like no other time in history that that I can remember has it been my prayer for wisdom. I, yeah. I think we've all just tried to been trying to figure out how to navigate yeah. this new odd, really strange season. Mm-hmm. And one of my prayers has been, Lord, give us uncommon wisdom for yeah. such this uncommon time because it has really made us bear, you know, really lean into the Lord yeah. for wisdom. So that's that's really helpful. Absolutely. So James makes it clear for us then that trials will come. In, in various and unpredictable ways, how has knowing that trials are an inevitable part of life helped you in facing the unique trials of 2020? I think knowing it's a matter of when and not if sobers me, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps me not feel off guard when hardships happen. Uh, 2020 kind of felt like the year of anything goes yeah. in regards to trials, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like everyone was like, well, it's 2020. (laughs) (laughs) Our world's falling apart. Uh, (laughs) And for, I mean, just the Williams family, personally, I'm like, y'all, everything in our house broke this Mm. year. Like everything. Mm. Like our air conditioning, our water heater, our van, our roof. I'm like, (laughs) what else can go wrong? (laughs) Um, But it really exposed in me how I view trials. And that was... I think that hard things happen as some kind of either punishment or God Mm -hmm. is displeased with me. And obviously, sometimes, yes, there are consequences for sin, but a lot of our hardship really just comes from living in a broken world. And so when we live with broken things and broken people, there's going to be trials. And it helped really, really realign my hope. Um, and that is my hope needs to be in Christ and not in my circumstances. That's so good because we are so tempted to look within, look within yeah. and, and think this is happening to me because of some defect or something wrong that I did or um, that God doesn't love me, that it's a mm-hmm. sign of his displeasure and yeah. uh, that not that it's working something in us that's good for us to perfect mm-hmm. us. So I think for me, it has made me look for the Lord's hand. Mm-hmm so intentionally in such a such a, I think in such a focused way mm-hmm. um and that's been convicting because when I'm comfortable I'm not looking that yeah. way I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not that intentional it's not so diligent um you know I'm, I'm sad to say and so there's something about trials that cause us to cling to the Lord in a way that is desperate yeah. and um I, I see that it's a unique kind of sweetness isn't it it yeah. is yeah mm-hmm. 
Well, I love me some control. And <laughs> the Herons had their plans made from January to September 2020, 2020, and it just kept falling apart. And um, so just knowing that Scripture tells me that things will be unpredictable and that trials will come and go, it just helps me brace for what's around the corner. And I experienced that, especially in 2020. Um, I don't like surprises. So um, just knowing that I did go to James several times during the, those um, kind of especially the parts that were so mysterious and we didn't know, you know, really and truly what was going to happen the next day. Um, just knowing that scripture says that that's going to be part of our life, it really did bring some comfort. Um, so knowing ultimately that God was in charge and that he was in charge of the mystery and the chaos really did just um, help me settle down and just just brace for whatever was next. It felt like it was one thing after the other, but I feel like specifically for 2020, just being reassured that um, my control loss is a good thing and that I can look to God and trust Him to for what's, what's next around the corner because it truly was just often mysterious. So that's, I think, the biggest thing that um, I learned in 2020 was just letting go and that um, I can't control everything. And it was really beat out of me in 2020. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you didn't have much of a choice on that one, did you? Not much of a choice. No, it was well, like was, go ahead. school like, of hard knocks on that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was even just thinking this morning about um, manna, you know, when... God's people are wandering in the desert and they had this unexpected, miraculous provision every day. They had to go out and gather it every day and you couldn't store it up or it went bad. And I just thought that is what it is every day mm-hmm. in the unexpected. And it's hard. Um, it's hard. Ours, um, I've got my little box of Kleenex here in case I start crying, which I might um, and get it over with. Uh, our hardship was the... Um, passing of of my father-in-law, my husband's father, um, unexpectedly from COVID in December. And it was such a crazy thing because he was completely healthy at Thanksgiving and in good condition and um, went and got tested for COVID just because he had a head cold and went into the hospital and was in there for two weeks and passed away on the 28th. And, um, I remember when John called me, it was midnight, um, and he had been woken up out of sleep. He was up in uh, Rock Hill with his mom, and he had been woken up out of sleep just to say that his dad had passed away, and he called me um, to tell me on the phone. And I remember thinking, I obviously couldn't go back to sleep, and I remember thinking what I had believed and, and believed up to that point and even believed in that point was just there were so many prayers given on behalf of, um, his name was Robert Barrett, on behalf of him. And I, I kept thinking, Lord, I know you have heard these prayers for mercy for so, from so many of your people. There can be no doubt that you've heard them. And in that moment, it was like, wow, there was something really, I don't know if it was humbling and terrifying, probably a combination of both, to think you have heard and you have answered, and it's different than what I thought it would be. Um, and yet do I still believe that you're merciful? And in that dark place, I just thought, man, it is something to stand before God and think you are not a God who can be controlled, 
but how good that you are a God who has revealed so much of who you are. So I wouldn't say that that night I, I wrestled. I mean, I still do have those just feelings of, of, and when I say fear, I hope it's awe. Um, but just to, just to think that we are at his mercy and, um, and that he gives it, but that he reveals beforehand that in trials, he loves his people. That it's not a surprise. Like if God had never said in his word that trials will come, if he hadn't said who he is in those trials, if he hadn't communicated his love um, by living out those trials in the person of Christ, then when I got to that really desperate place, I wouldn't go to him. I wouldn't trust him. I wouldn't I wouldn't know of his love in those places. So I think for me, the ability to have in scripture, I thought, I'm so grateful that I have a background of knowing who you are before this place, because it gives me the trust to come to you with all of these feelings. And that was the other thing, you know, just remembering that Jesus wept outside of Lazarus's tomb before he moments before he raised him. And that he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me on the cross when he was doing what he was doing for the joy set before him? It's just encouraged me that, yes, he tells us they're going to come. Yes, they're inevitable. But he mourns with us. He's not disdainful of our pain, of our questioning, or our confusion, of any of those sorts of things. So I'm just really grateful um, that he does tell us so much about who he is. And he gives us the freedom to mourn. Yeah. And so what does it look like then if James is saying to count it joy when we face trials, what does it look like to be joyful in a trial, but also able to share about the reality of that trial with others? And why is it important to be able to do that? Well, Amber, I'm so sorry y'all have been through that. We're so sorry for y'all and love y'all so much and been grieving with y'all and shocking, just so shocking, but... Um, to me, I, I thought about just different people that I know and how they um, embrace trials and how they live through them. And I thought of um, some saints of our church. I thought of Betty Hanks and Ann Morris specifically, who I think about just being a young lady in the church and looking up to them and um, different things. Now, when I look back, thinking of all the things that they went through, but how they still cared about me and still asked about me and cared for others. So I think um, some of it is being able to think of others and have a sense of peace when you're in a really intense trial. Like even Amber, you being able to be here today and do this today. I mean, that's like you moving into the grace of God. And um, I'm so grateful for that. But um I think of a young lady I know that um, I really admire. She's in her 20s, and she has a lot of trials and a lot of pain in her life, but yet she still has this joy about her, and I always call her. I say, you're the happiest sad person I've ever known. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know any other way to describe this concept besides it's kind of being a, you know, when you're in a trial and it is um, – and it is really hard. You're still able to think of others. You're still able to have a sense of peace. And to me, that's kind of what joy is. It's not this like hilarity, haha, but like there's this sense of groundedness. Yes. Um, so, and I do think that, and I, and I also thought of my sister who has a special needs child and um, she makes, she's an attentive aunt and she makes holidays special 
And I just, it, that's, that brings joy to all of us. And even though it's not, um, it's not always easy, it's just, I do think of that. When I think of having joy, I think of people that I know that um, are able to still think of others and um, pass that on, pass on joy. When I think joy, I think of deep and abiding, not something that can easily be stripped. So joy isn't this flippant emotion, but more of this lasting trust and contentment in Christ and in his promises. So joy in trials doesn't mean fake and fluffy feelings like, oh, everything's fine or I trust (laughs) God, but this wrestling with truth, but genuine hurt and weariness. So I think the ministry of sharing our trials is huge. I can't tell you how many times I personally have benefited from other people sharing their circumstances and how God has sustained them through it. Um, I think it can help lighten the load of someone's hurt or their loneliness in their middle of their pain. So I've really experienced this, especially in motherhood, from small, silly ways like shared stories of babies who won't sleep or inconvenient diaper blowouts, but to really heavier, harder seasons of exhaustion and feeling like I'm failing as a mom. So I think others knowing Christ in a real and intimate way has pushed me into a deeper trust of God. Mm. Oh, I like that too. And and just how um, it talks about that the, the joy is that we're guaranteed that our faith um that we become more steadfast in our faith. And I've seen that just through this trial of, I had one idea of what mercy looks like. Little did I know all of the mercy that I've seen in ways I couldn't comprehend when that particular request for mercy wasn't granted the way I'd asked for it to be. And the joy is in the um, steadfastness of faith, not in the trial itself. And it makes a big difference to me. That's so good. I, I I was listening to both Sarah and Sandra both mention what joy is not. Mm. And I think that that is so helpful because you both mentioned that it's not a fluffy, warm and fuzzy feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's important just as people who are in the body of Christ that we have the type of vulnerability that show people our trials. I think when we are always artificially joyful, mm. um, which is kind of what you guys were describing. I think when we're artificially joyful that we diminish the work of grace in our lives. And so I think it's so important that we're able to embody both the trial as well as, you know, real hope and and, and joy that uh, the Lord is working something beyond the heaviness of the trial that we feel, but he's working an eternal weight of glory. So talk to me a little bit about in what ways are we tempted in the midst of trials? I think with our wicked hearts, there are a million ways that mm-hmm. I personally can be tempted when trials come. Um, if I'm being honest, mm-hmm. my knee-jerk reaction is I'm tempted to doubt God's sovereignty or maybe his goodness in my circumstances. So one quick verse I wanted to share was uh, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, which says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So we are reminded that even when we are tempted to doubt God's goodness and care, he gives us the means to endure it. 
and God gives us his spirit and his word to know truth about him and his promises. So this doesn't necessarily mean we will understand fully this side of heaven, the trials we're walking through, but I think we can trust that God is using the trial to work something deep into our souls, and this is what's going to help us to remain steadfast in our walk with Him. I'm personally tempted to be in despair and confusion. Um, I like clear laid out plans, and trials most often contain dark mystery. So taking that despair and that confusion to the foot of the cross brings it in perspective. Jesus knows all. It's not mysterious to him, and he cares deeply and will help me. So to be patient, James 1.3 says that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So um, waiting patiently, intently for him in my confusion um, prevents despair. I thought of Psalms 55 too, which says, I'm restless in my complaint and I'm surely distracted. That translated in Hebrews means I must moan. And so the next 20 verses, there's moaning and ending in 55, 22, cast your burden on the Lord, and He will sustain you. So to me, I'm tempted to despair, but casting my burden, I know He will sustain me. I think for me, it, it goes along with that. My questions about wisdom is I tend to go into my own mind, and I like to try to figure out at all times what it is I'm thinking, why I'm thinking it, how I feel about what I'm thinking, what I'm going to do with what I'm thinking, a lot of thinking, and um, a lot of self-reliance in my thinking, and to... Uh, to admit my inability to know and to go to the one who does know and to say, Lord, I will trust what you say, as opposed to holding it up to my own examination to see if I want to trust it. Uh, That's something that really stuck out to me um, in the midst of trials is to surrender what I think um, to what he says. Yeah, that surrender and control, it seems (laughs) Uh to be a theme. Uh, yeah, and and that's exactly it, because trials can feel, well, they challenge our thinking that we are in control, yeah. and uh, they make us come to the end of ourselves and, and, and cry out to the Lord, and my temptation is to problem solve. Mm-hmm. I, I want to figure it out, mm-hmm. and there's so much beyond figuring out, mm-hmm. but that's my go-to. That's what I'm tempted to do um, since... I think probably over the pandemic, my verse that has been my life source has been Psalm 63 and 8. My soul clings to you and your right hand upholds me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm I'm remembering that I am clinging, but it's the Lord who's holding me up and that both are happening simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that has been that's been my stay. And that helps me when I'm tempted to try Mm -hmm. to solve a problem that's not mine to solve. Mm -hmm. I love that. You're clinging to what's holding on to you. Yes. The picture of that. You know, we've been sitting in this room this morning and it's been kind of gray. And just now as we're finishing, I realized that sun is in my eyes. Mm. So bright. And it just was a reminder to me, really, as I'm just sitting here, that I can stop um, before I get to the verses that just remind us that God doesn't shift or change. He's not mm-hmm. shadow. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's bright light and he is the giver of perfect gifts and the gift he's given us is uh, primarily through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. And that gift never goes away. It never diminishes. 
It never gets hidden underneath the clouds. It's always brightly shining for us. And it really is in the face of trials. What we cling to is our good and perfect gift. With that wonderful note of gospel encouragement, we hope you'll join us next week. Take us on a walk or let us sit with you at your kitchen table while you sip something warm and yummy. We'll continue our discussion on the book of James. Hope you'll listen in. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian wife she sees. It is the Lord who rises with healing in His wings. When comforts are declining, He grants the soul again. A season of pure shining to cheer it after the 